Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Lucas. And we are two aspiring filmmakers making unnecessary commentary on famous movies. Each week, we will randomly select a film to analyze, discuss, and review. We will select the film at the end of each podcast, so you will have ample time to watch the movie before the next episode. We are slightly qualified film Hello, students. Hello, everybody. Welcome, Welcome to back. another episode of Slightly Qualified Film Students. This week, we're taking a look at Fincher's Fincher debut, I'll say. Uh, technically, not his directorial debut. But if nope. you want to look at it from a fan's perspective, this is basically the first Fincher movie. Um, and at, at least from what I've seen, I haven't seen all of his filmography, but I know Lucas has seen a lot of it. To me, it's his his best so far that I've seen. Yeah. If we ignore Alien 3, which yeah. Fincher has said himself, he doesn't count as one of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Seven would be his first like film where he got to do it all himself without any like major production company deals and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's quite different from Alien 3. Yeah, Seven just a little is bit. A, it's just a little bit. I mean, Seven is the stepping off point for Fincher... And it's a phenomenal film. It's a phenomenal psychological thriller, crime, uh, murder mystery film. All the good stuff. Probably yeah. my favorite genre of films to like just watch. I love a good crime thriller. I will watch a crime thriller any day of the week, any time, as long as it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I was trying to find a new crime thriller to watch the other day. And I was looking at all the, like, top 50 lists, and I swear I couldn't find a single one I hadn't seen yet. And I was getting a little depressed. Damn. Um, but Seven is definitely one of the best. If not the best. Um, I, I'd say it's definitely the best fictional serial killer movie. And the best there. non-fiction one is Zodiac? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. 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 Um... <laughs> Yeah, nice. I I love Fincher. He he, I love almost all of his movies. Um, what about the game? I like the game. I don't think it's a f- amazing movie, but it's a pretty cool concept. Mm-hmm. Mank. I don't. I didn't really like Mank. <laughs> We've talked about Mank. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen but, Gone Girl, but Gone it... Girl. I really like. I really like Gone Girl. Gone Girl is a great film. All right. I'll check Obviously, it out. Fight Club, Zodiac, yeah. Girl Drunk Tattoo is pretty good. Social Network, I love. Curious Case of Benjamin Button is pretty good too. His filmography is pretty extensive, and he dives into a lot of different genres. But you know, Fincher is known for his thrillers, his crime thrillers, and Seven is the starting point for that. And yeah, I mean, it's a great movie. Anyone who's ever seen it knows it's one of the. It's one of the greatest movies out there. I mean, it's definitely, you know, on the IMDb Top 250. It has an 8.6 on IMDb. I'm just saying that's kind of insane. Pretty insane. Um, It has a 4.3 on Letterboxd, 105th highest rated movie on all of Letterboxd. So even amongst the film geeks, it holds up. And it's definitely well-deserving. It's a great movie. Go check it out if you haven't already. I mean, everyone's already seen this, but I'll read the plot summary anyways just in case. A serial killer begins murdering people according to the seven deadly sins. 
two detectives, one new to the city and the other about to retire, are tasked with apprehending the criminal. Yeah, so basically, serial killer kills people, one for each of the seven deadly sins, or for five of them at least. Um, Yeah. And then Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman got to track him down. And, like, honestly, it's so weird that Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman have, like, insane chemistry. (laughs) Like, that's such a weird (laughs) pairing. Especially because Brad Pitt, at that point, was pretty much just known for Thelma and Louise. Uh, Yeah, he hadn't done much. He hadn't really done much. And Morgan Freeman is coming off the Shawshank Redemption I think that came out a year before this, if I'm not wrong. Um, uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So, an unlikely pairing, but, like, it works, man. Uh, Morgan Freeman is just so sick. Like, he's such a legend. I love Morgan Freeman. Um, and, I mean, he's just so good in this movie. Like, Morgan Freeman was the real, like unsung reason that i loved this film is because i just really loved his demeanor and his dialogue which obviously like that's written but like just his performance in general his demeanor his vibe i really loved it um i mean like brad pitt is awesome too but i don't know man like brad 90s brad pitt is just a little annoying to me uh (laughs) like morgan freeman was really the star of the show to me in this film he he held it down for me. Yeah. I agree. They do have great chemistry in this film. I mean, I won't get to it, but also Kevin Spacey. Which, yeah. you know, I don't like talking about him too much, but... Yeah, he's... I'll say it, the man can act. He can and, act um, like a creep. And it's so, like, movies, especially movies like American Beauty, just, like, have aged so terribly in light of recent things yeah and like this one too like now he really really fits that character you know like now he maybe now I mean, we he fits know why. i don't know if he fits seven but like Joe. it's just not helping <laughs> no <laughs> but um <laughs> his performance is still great yes he's riding in the back of the cop car car um i remember the first time i watched this movie uh when he like steps out of the taxi and walks into the police station yeah and he like yells oh, it's, it's so crazy uh, like that moment is just it was ingrained into my memory because it was like oh my god this is insane yeah and like when i first watched this movie i didn't know kevin spacey was in it um because i watched it at a pretty young age before i really knew well before i really knew who kevin spacey was to be completely honest um but yeah, this was my... I hadn't seen this movie since I first watched it. It'd been a good, you know, four years. Maybe five mm-hmm. years. Um, and I loved it. It was amazing. It was a great rewatch. And it held up. It, like, kept its intensity throughout, even though I, I knew all the beats and I knew everything that was going to happen. I still felt that kind of anxious, intense suspense feeling throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, it was my first time watching this, although I have to say almost the entire thing had been spoiled for me. Like, literally the entire thing. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was in the summer between grade 9 and grade 10 
when we were working at SFE, one day you literally like just went through every single sin and all the different like ways they were killed. Probably because <laughs> you had just seen it. So like I already knew what to expect, but that still didn't make it any less entertaining, any less of a great watch. Yes, I knew the end result, but I didn't really know exactly how they got anywhere. Um, and it is really well put together, man. Like, I think that the la- the ending to this film has got to be one of my favorite endings of all time. Uh, and one of the darkest endings of all time. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even, like, leave you with anything. It just kind of ends. It's just, like, In, like, damn. this really dark moment. And... Yeah. I mean, it's the one quote of those, like, that Morgan Freeman endings. says at the end, breaking the fourth wall kind of, is just a mm-hmm. fire quote from Ernest Hemingway. Uh, and it just leaves you like, oh, damn, yo. Like, the world really is a fucked place. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. there's just, like, no redeeming thing in this film. It's like, yeah, seven people, say five people die, Kevin Spacey gets killed, and Brad Pitt is going to jail. And his life's over, and also his wife and unborn child are dead. Yep. And you're just like, yeah, okay, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, standout scenes, I guess. Um, my standout scene, like, yeah, I think the entire ending sequence in the field, the windmill field, is obviously like yeah. the best scene to me. But I wanted to go with like a less obvious choice, and I have to say, the scene that I had not been spoiled on or like I didn't know it was in the film uh, that like impressed me the most is the scene where Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman enter John Doe's apartment for the first time and it's Uh, like just revealed the level of insanity that he's on because it's like such an eerie scene I love the lighting Mm -hmm. I I love the score the production design is insane and like the set decoration just when Morgan Freeman is like reading through the notebooks it's just so like yeah revealing of like how messed up the situation truly is because like this dude is like crazy crazy like ultra crazy um Mm -hmm. But then you're also like, but is he, though? Because he kind of got a point. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that scene is a fire scene. Love that scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great scene. Uh, okay, my standout scene. I agree. The ending is one of the one of the best scenes in the entire film. Um, but I'm going to go with probably a weirder selection. But a scene I really like, and that is when uh, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman go back to the lawyer's office where the second murder has just been committed. Now, this mm-hmm. is when the film kind of starts to pick up, and this is when like the, 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 the detective element of it actually begins, and this is when they start working together and start piecing stuff together, and that's... They basically just, like, they get their first, like, hit, and they, they go to the, back to this lawyer's office and they're just kind of tearing the place apart and looking for clues. But the thing I love about that scene is it really just builds their characters, builds their connection. Because even though they're looking for clues for this like brutal murder that's just happened, like the man just got a pound of flesh taken off of him. Mm-hmm. Um, by himself. Literally. Yeah, uh, by himself. Uh, but, um... Uh... 
the entire sequence is literally just Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman just joking around with each other as they're taking down paintings and like looking looking for little hints and stuff mm-hmm. which they eventually find the fingerprints but yeah. um it's just a great moment and it's honestly just a really fun scene but it also is i think very very it really showcases fincher's writing style in um building characters and character development yeah i just wanted to choose a more popular yeah. scene agreed 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 that's a great scene let's take a quick break and then we'll hop into the review yeah Okay, back. we are back, hopping into story and originality out of ten. Um, I mean, I mean, this is a. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty original oh. film. Now there have been a lot of serial killer films uh, to date that follow a very similar format as Seven, but Seven was kind of the beginning. It kind of laid the groundwork for many of these murder mystery films we've seen to follow. Yeah. Um, And I think, like, to me the most unique part about Seven is that at first all you're obsessed about is, okay, who's the killer? Like, are they going to catch him? Are they going to stop him? And then, like, right at the midpoint, kind of the end of Act 2, instead of having a moment of, like, all is lost that the killer turns himself in and mm-hmm. then you're like wait but like huh so now what and yeah. then the rest of the movie you're like trying to f- figure out what the hell's going on like i don't know i think that the twist in this film not being who the killer is it's actually the way he commits the crime is just like yeah. very unique and original especially for the mid 90s like Every, almost every other film, the twist would be, you know, okay. Like, usual suspects. Yeah, yeah exactly. Where Also Kevin. Yeah, exactly. That one's also... Same year, also. Yeah, that's also a creepy <laughs> Kevin character. Uh, yeah. But the, the twist not being who the killer is, but more the way that the killings unfold is just super sick and original, and I love it. To me, mm-hmm. best serial killer movie, unless you count American Psycho, but that's a totally different, like, vibe and genre. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I really love the story and originality. This film, super original, great story. Enough said. Yeah. I mean, it is so... I don't know. It's like so clear that fincher just had a different idea for this film and I, I agree with that ending it's like it just doesn't care it's like gonna do whatever it wants and it it's very obvious in the the just the brutal nature of this film especially for a film come out in the 90s yeah i mean of course there's been gruesome films in the 90s but this film it's like it's that in-between point where it's not a slasher film where it's showing extremely gory content but it's also not uh it's also not shying away from the gore it's doing this weird thing where it's playing with your imagination 
in the sense that it doesn't show anything, but it's like very clear everything that's happening, all the murders taking place, mm-hmm. which is such a cool way of making a film about such uh, disturbing content. And um, yeah, I agree that that ending plot twist, I mean, throughout my first watch of this film, I was like trying to think who who's the killer. And I, w- I was thinking like, oh, what if, what if Brad Pitt's the killer? <laughs> what if Morgan Freeman's actually the killer? Because you're expecting something like that, especially if you read that there's a plot twist in this movie. That's what you're expecting. Uh-huh. And then I got like, you know, it gives you a killer, but then it does throw a plot twist at the end. Not really a plot twist, but like a wrench in the plot, kind of. Where it's like, hey, you think things are under control, but they are far from under control. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's a really, really brilliant story. Uh, and there's a reason why so many films um, relate or talk about Seven to this day, especially films of the same genre, because it's just so monumental in the crime thriller genre. Uh, this is a 10 out of 10 for me. 10 out of 10, story and originality. Yeah. I gave it a 10% as well out of 10. Super great. Yeah. Awesome. Let's move on to beginning out of 5%. Uh, I don't know. This beginning is really great. Like, if you're only counting the first 10 minutes, uh, you could be fooled into thinking that this is, you know, a slower film. Um, because once they really get into the crime scene of... Uh, is it gluttony? Is that the like yeah, what gluttony. the term is? Okay. Yeah. Once they really get into that crime scene, it starts to get more interesting. But if you're looking at what's before the opening title sequence slash directly after, there's nothing that special about it to me, at least. Like it's great filmmaking, uh, but I feel like that this film could have had a stronger beginning. Yeah, I mean, it does. We do jump into the uh vibe of the film right away like right away we start with morgan freeman going to a pretty brutal uh homicide detective kind of thing where he's looking at i think it's two parents who have killed each other Mm -hmm. and it's already like disturbing because they're talking about oh did the kid see this was what where is the the kid and there's like all that going on and it's like right away we're like okay this movie's gonna be kind of it's gonna be dark it's gonna be a dark movie um but yeah it's like it's a slower beginning but it does it's like it isn't even that slow because within the 15 minute mark we get into gluttony and then it kind of just goes off from there yeah um and also, dude, the opening credit sequence yeah, is so good. It's, like, probably the best opening credit sequence out there. I mean, it's it's renowned. Everyone talks about this opening credit sequence. Mm-hmm. I have the DVD for Seven, and there's an entire section on the disc that's just a documentary on the making of the opening title sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's pretty awesome in a very disturbing way you're watching like kevin spacey peel the skin off of his fingers and stuff yeah it's you know but um kind of not yeah <laughs> i didn't like I don't it's know. hard to watch <laughs> i'll say that i know it's hard to watch but it's it's you know 
it's pretty awesome. Um, I don't know, I give it 4 out of 5. I like this beginning. I don't think it's amazing, but I think you still... It jumps into it a lot quicker than all the 3 out of 5s I've been giving. Fair enough. I did give it a 3% out of 5, because I thought that this movie was overall really, really well executed, so I had to be hard on it in some places. I feel like opening just could have been better. Uh, ending out of 5%. We already kind of talked about this ending, but I mean, I love this ending. I think that it's, I think that it's a great ending. I think it's ar- arguably one of the most memorable endings in a film. Uh, what's in the box? You know, that's a classic line that I knew of years before I saw this movie. Um, I'd seen clips from this mm-hmm. scene. And I mean, it's just so good. Like, it's just really good. Like, uh, editing, absolutely on point. I love the location for the yeah. first time you're out of, like, the dim streets um, and just in this open world. What The last time that I was in uh, California or L.A., so pre-COVID, uh, when we were driving out to Joshua Tree, like, this, that whole windmill park thing is like right on the side of the highway and I just like looked out there and my dad was mm-hmm. like yo that's where the last scene of seven was filmed um it's pretty cool it's just like a <laughs> massive wind farm uh yeah and it's a sick location like and I I just love the vibe I love the editing in the scene the performances are fantastic mm-hmm. and like the plot yes. twist is just crazy it's so good I was worried Rewatching this film because of how like memeified the ending of this film has become the what's in the box mm-hmm. that this ending would lose like meaning or intensity that I would kind of just find it funny to hear Brad Pitt say what's in, what's the, in box. the box which I mean it still is funny when he says what's in the box because of how memeified it's become uh-huh. but <laughs> it, it it's still intense like I wasn't laughing when that scene hit i was still so captured in the moment which is like that's telling you something because you know i've seen that clip so many times but when you watch the entire film as a whole and then it all like crashes into that moment at the end it's it's so impactful and uh fincher originally wanted to end this film like literally end it with brad pitt shooting kevin spacey and walking away that's how he had the original that cut, like ending. And then the production company was like, nah, that's way too dark, man. Like way too dark. So he's like, fine. And then he added in that extra 30 second <laughs> scene at the end where Morgan Freeman says a quote and walks into the sunset. But yeah, his original ending was literally just Brad Pitt walking away and cutting to black. Which is an extremely like this film is already such a dark ending, but like to that end like that better been, to me, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it would have been better, but for audiences in the nineties, that yeah, that might have been a. I can see how that might have not worked on test audiences. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. This easy five out of five Easily. for the ending for me. Easy five. Easy out of five. five out of five. Hundred percent. Uh. Okay. Now we will move on to screenplay and dialogue at 8%. Um, 
I mean, I I really love uh, the characters in this film. I think they're all super well developed. Um, especially like I don't know why, but like Morgan Freeman's character is just so awesome to me. Uh, he's like this really good natured, like jaded detective who just he just wants the justice. And he, he totally sees right through Brad Pitt's weaknesses. And, like, the whole time you're just waiting for Brad Pitt to do some stupid shit. And then you think he avoided it. Like, you think he made it through. But then, yeah, finally his weakness is, like, exploited. Um, yeah, I, I think that the screenplay also... Uh, the pacing of this film is fantastic. It's super fast-paced, but at the same time I feel like they spend a great amount of time on all the details uh and just letting you try to connect the dots um i mean like you never really have a great idea of who specifically the killer is but you start to get deeper into their mind as the film progresses Mm -hmm. and yeah dialogue's great there's a lot of great one-liners um and just some like wholesome scenes too, like the scene where Morgan Freeman gets invited over for dinner. I really love the way that scene's written. They all just start laughing. Yeah, like that's such a sweet moment. Yeah, yeah, and even like the simple moments that you feel like are just filler that don't really need to be there, like the Gwyneth Paltrow yeah um, the diner scene with Morgan Freeman. And it's like yes in the moment, but then when the ending hits, it's like oh that was actually really important yeah. because of the baby and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's like scenes like that that even though in the moment, you know, you'll realize at the end that's not filler, but in the moment feel like filler, it's written in a way that it's still entertaining and it like you're still invested and you're still catching on to all the things that are being said, even if in the moment they don't feel important, which is very important because, you know, when it all comes to a conclusion, those little details are important for the full, you know, the full experience. So yeah, I think the dialogue is fantastic in this film. I think the screenplay is great, really well paced. I don't think it's an 8 out of 8, because I don't feel like this is like a... I don't know, I just don't feel like it's a screenplay heavy film. I don't think the dialogue is really carrying this film. But it's solid, without a doubt. Really great film, great writing, 7 out of 8. Yeah, I totally agree with you. 7% out of 8 for me on the screenplay front as well. Doesn't necessarily rely on that as much, but still super, super good. Let's move on to soundtrack at a 7%. I think that this film's got a great soundtrack. I think most Fincher films have pretty excellent soundtracks, especially The Social Network. Trent Reznor did a fantastic job with that one in particular, but... Mm -hmm. This film also has a great soundtrack, uh, and I don't know, it's it's like dark, and beautiful, uh, and just overall, fits super well. It's intense when it needs to be. It it's not something I'd listen to outside of the film, uh, but it fits the yeah. vibe super super well. Yeah, it's such a brutal soundtrack. It's like really gross Mm -hmm. (laughs) it like fits the vibe of the film so well because it's such it's just a really disturbing soundtrack it's like very intense very white noise uh heavy a lot of like crashing and feedback kind of noises 
Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if the soundtrack really carries a lot of this film. No. I feel like the soundtrack isn't really there or it kind of just hides in the background for most of the film. I don't know. It didn't really stand out to me. I think the ending scene, the soundtrack is very present. I think the opening title sequence, it's very present. But in a lot of the other moments where it it clearly is there, but I just, I don't know. It like, it wasn't giving me anything that I feel like, uh, I feel, I feel like the movie wouldn't have been changed if there was no soundtrack in a lot of those moments. Right. I feel like the film was so intense already from the acting, writing, and cinematography that the soundtrack really wasn't giving me anything. And I actually felt like there were some moments where I would have preferred no music and just uh, the the sound design of the scenes take over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah, I give it a 5 out of 7. Yeah, I gave it a 5 out of 7 as well. Um, pretty good, but like, it's just like the social network, I would give a 6 to me. Or even a seven. And like, I know that Fincher can mm-hmm. have some... Like, even Mank kind of has a dope soundtrack. Not gonna lie. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to production design. I mean, the production design in this film is absolutely awesome. Uh, I really oh, I yeah. love the production design in this film. It's just so, so incredibly detailed. Um, I mean, so obviously, detailed. crime movies, Fincher movies in general, they're going to have super, super detailed production design. But this movie in particular just creates such a world and personality of these this killer. And I really think that this is one of the major things carrying this film uh, is just that, like, everything is so believable. Like, especially that's the reason why I love that apartment scene so much. All the Polaroids hanging from the ceiling. It's just, yeah. like so so great and all the different apartments where everyone is killed all the different locations it's all amazing it's like the set decoration is just insane i mean fincher anyone who knows his films he's he is one of the biggest perfectionists of a director working today his films are so detailed in every shot um, and that's really clear, even here in Seven, that he's putting so much effort into the the tiny little out-of-focus things in the background. Um, I mean, the props, the costumes, I mean, the, the makeup, like, holy smokes, the makeup. If we're looking at Sloth, for example, mm-hmm. it's insane. Like, the makeup is brutal in this film, but also, like doesn't feel like prosthetics uh especially with the the uh, sloth victim God. it looks so real especially for 95 um and i mean the costumes are great the detective outfits but especially uh the contrast of like kevin spacey's colors his orange suit in the in the wind field um mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean the set decorations just so good in this movie. This is a, the film. This is a film where it's like you don't need big production design. You just need the details. Yeah. And you just need those little elements to make shots just feel complete. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. 
for me, this is an easy 6% out of 6. Uh, costumes, also great. And yeah, like you said, all the victims are just so brutally realistic that I kind of wish it was a little bit worse. Um, but here we are, <laughs> and it's really good. So, solid yeah, 6%. Yeah, 6 out of 6. Uh, okay, location selection of 6. We talked about it a bit. Location selection is pretty great in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Obviously, the final scene is a fantastic location. The library. I really love the yeah, library, library location. Where with all the green like lights on the desk. It's like such a cool vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, all the apartments. The... I don't know. Some of the streets are really cool. Yeah. Especially with the rain. I know that fincher brought in lots of fake rain for this movie yeah it's very specific when it needs to be raining well i guess the first scene they shot in this movie it was raining when he didn't want it to rain but then he was like this looks pretty cool so then he just kept the rain going throughout the film um but yeah i don't know location selection there are moments where it's like awesome and then there's you know moments where it's just kind of like a diner that is just a diner yeah or even like i don't know brad pitt's apartment it it works but it's also nothing special i feel like they could have made it more weird (laughs) especially that's like under this train uh station like i feel like it could have been a bit more of a i don't know just like weirder looking apartment that, you know, still feels homely, but also yeah. has that, like, like odd it, feel to it. A lot of these locations, they fit super well within the tone, but they also don't really have much personality in and of themselves. It's mostly just the rain and the dark, gritty cinematography. Like, like I feel like if this movie just had super ultra-dope locations, like, it, it would have been even better. Like, I think the location selection is still great, uh, but at this point, I'm just kind of nitpicking because it's such a great film that I gotta figure stuff out. Yeah, yeah. yeah I give it a five out of six, though. Yeah, it's still, I mean, still a solid five percent out of six. Awesome. I mean, nothing really wrong with it. It just mm-hmm. really could have been slightly better. Uh, we'll take a quick break now, but then we'll head into the second half of the review. <laughs> Okay, yeah. we are back. Heading in. Hopping into cinematography. Cinematography out of 10. Um, this film, it's not your uh, beautiful, beautiful movie, without a doubt. But the cinematography no, is just so but, gritty, man. It's so dark yeah. and totally, totally adds so much to this movie yeah it's one of the grittiest looking films ever the handheld chase sequences widescreen plus all this grain and rain like it's so hard to see but that's also kind of sick um yeah i don't know the cinematography is like totally not my style but i really fucked with Mm -hmm. it like it's super good um yeah it i love the aesthetic i think it supports this film so much yeah 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 
I mean, especially my favorite shot sequence is the chase scene between Brad Pitt and John Doe, especially when they're like in the rainy alleyway and like all that is happening in the shadows. It's just so it's just such a cool looking scene where it's like all blue and the rain is pouring down and all of the white lights are glowing off of like the wet alleyway. And then you like see that that one shot of what is Kevin Spacey pointing the gun at him, but it's all like shadowed out. I gave it a 9% out of yeah. 10. I think the cinematography in this film is pretty fantastic. I just love yeah, the same. feel. 9 out of 10. It, it's a great feel. Well, it's not a great feel. It's a, it's a very disturbing feel, but it works. Yes. And if you need a good, you know, unsettling film, this one will do it for you. Mm-hmm. Totally. Okay, editing out of eight. I think this is a really well-edited film. Um, yeah, I mean, that was its one really Oscar nom. Which yeah, is ridiculous. Sadly. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> like, that's so stupid. But to be fair, the Oscars hate Fincher for some reason. Well, they liked Mank. Um, yeah, yeah, which is so... <laughs> It's because it's the most anti-David Fincher movie he's ever made that, of course, the Oscars like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Like, Fight Club got, like, nothing. (laughs) Even though it's, like, ranked as one of the greatest movies of all time. Social Network got snubbed for Best Picture. Um, Gone Girl got nothing. You know? He's just, he's not well-liked in the award season. No. I don't know. But seven, seven deserved some respect. Even though '95 was a great year for film. Yeah, I, I don't know. The editing in this film is one of the key elements to me. I think that the pacing of each scene is so incredible. And if the opening title sequence tells you anything, it's that the editing is going to be driving uh, the pace and the feel of this whole film. In particular. I don't know. Fincher just knows when to cut a shot, man. He, it. There's almost like a relentless beat when you're watching a Fincher movie, whether it be this or The Social Network or whatever. And some directors... I just watched a Yorgos Lanthimos movie, so I'm going to use him as an example. Some directors, their style is to purposely, you know, hold on things longer or shorter than you yeah. expect, make you uncomfortable with that. But sure. Fincher kind of makes you uncomfortable because it feels like you're in like a trance where everything is just cutting perfectly, like perfectly. Like it feels just like there's a beat to the whole movie and you're just like, can't take your eyes off it. Um, and Seven is like, to me, the best example of that that I've seen so far. I think the social network is pretty good, but like Seven is the epitome of that editing from Fincher. Yeah, especially through the last... 30 minutes of this film the editing Mm -hmm. is just it's the driving force of why the last 30 minutes is so intense yeah because the shots aren't crazy like especially the car scene it's mostly just three medium close-ups on the three characters edited together with helicopter overview um but there's something about how it's paced out what shots are left on kevin spacey what shots are just brad pitt reacting to stuff kevin spacey is saying it's so meticulous that it makes the scene just feel so 
messed up. It feels like you're heading into a trap, which is exactly what you want the audience to feel like in that moment in time, mm-hmm. even though you feel at ease. You don't know what's... You're like, what can he do? He's got helicopters on him. He's handcuffed. He's got two cops on him armed. How can he do anything? And you're, you're, you're very wrong. You're very wrong. Because he's that's, smart. <laughs> he's a smart man. He's he got the brain. brain. Yeah. Yeah. The most deadly weapon. But the editing is, it's great in this movie. I mean, we haven't had a lot of films in this podcast where the editing shines through. We've had a few. Yeah. But uh, not, not a whole lot. There have been a lot of sixes. So I think this is a solid seven. I don't think it's quite that eight category, but I think looking at the ending 30 minutes and even the opening title sequence, which is also editing, I think that this film showcases a lot of, you know, just great editing techniques. Yeah. I think so far the best edited films we've looked at, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind comes to mind. Raging Bull to me, like, I mean, there's there's been some good ones, and this just isn't quite on that level. Like, I think it's super, super, super good, but it's a high 7%. I was going to give it the 8, but, eh, I don't know. It's just, it's a solid, solid 7, because, like you said, yeah, the last 30 minutes are just truly exceptional. Yeah. Earlier, not so much, but 7% for sure. Uh, Acting, though, at a 10%. I think Ooh. the great performances all around. Oh, yeah. Kevin Spacey won this year for The Usual Suspects. That's a joke and a half. He should have won for this movie. But, um, I mean, he's do- he does more in The Usual Suspects. Yeah, but it's still supporting actor. Like, he won supporting actor for The Usual Suspects. It's a good performance. But just l- contrast, even though... He's only in 30 minutes of this movie. He steals the show. He is, like, so powerful in those final 30 minutes of this film. It's insane. It's probably one of the most powerful and memorable supporting actor performances in in film. Yeah. And I mean, look. I'm looking at it right now. 68th Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. What's the one nomination for seven? Editing. It loses to Apollo 13, which I haven't seen it, but... Sure. Space movie, probably edited good. Makes sense. Best picture. Yeah. Braveheart. I haven't seen Braveheart. <laughs> but I haven't seen Braveheart either. Like, come on. Babe. That's Mel The Gibson. movie about a pig. <laughs> yeah, Babe got nominated for best picture. Sense and, and director. which and I have director. seen. director. And best supporting actor. <laughs> like, the farmer in Babe got a best supporting actor nom over <laughs> Kevin Spacey. <laughs> like, were the people at in the Academy just, like, straight up... You know what it was? Is Fincher didn't pay enough money. He didn't give the Academy enough money. Babe was all or over that shit. Or he didn't just... Bro, you know Babe. They, they um, were advertising their movie. They were, they were going out there. Making sure everyone watched it. I mean, leaving Las Vegas, Nicolas Cage wins Best Actor. That's pretty respectable. That's fine. I don't think uh, Brad Pitt or Morgan Freeman are Best Actor or Supporting Actor candidates here, but I think they both give very 
good performances, especially once again in the last 30 minutes. I mean, the last 30 minutes is everything in this movie. Like, all of the points that are going up for this film are from that last 30 minutes. A hundred percent. Where everything just comes, like, like out of nowhere. All of a sudden, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are giving the best goddamn performances of their career alongside Kevin Spacey. It's insane. For sure. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, the okay, but yes, we're talking about the, the main three guys, but let's talk about some of the, the side actors here. Gwyneth Paltrow Let's talk is great. about who? Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay, not Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm talking side side characters. I'm talking like the sloth victim, man. That's an actor, Mister Michael Reed McKay. I mean, goddamn, that guy lost like eighty pounds for this movie, and no one gives him respect. Okay, he's. They literally did an interview with him where he was like, "I lost like." He, like, ate a grape a day before shooting this movie. Christian Bale literally took this guy's technique. Yes. Uh, even, uh, Mr., let's see, uh, Kat Mueller, who plays the lust victim. This guy is on record He's saying so he didn't good. sleep for an entire week before shooting his scene. Well, because he wanted to fanatic. appear completely, yeah, broken. And he does. He is a freaking maniac in that one scene it's one of the most disturbing scenes i've ever watched and i will go on record saying i have there are very few times where i have turned off a movie and yes i was young when i watched seven for the first time i mean but that scene rattled me this this how 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 funny is it that this isn't even the most disturbing film i saw this week because literally a few hours ago i just got done watching a yorgos lanthimos movie called dog tooth dog tooth yeah it's one of his early like it was the one he made that basically put him on the map it's in greek and it was mm. like best foreign film nominee and that movie is cool. like ultra fucked well yeah i've watched more disturbing films recently but like than seven but there's but, something about seven that it like hurts you more like i watched the house that jack built i watched funny games uh you know, Funny Games is Michael Haneke, uh, House of Jack, but Lars Rancher, both are known for their highly disturbing films. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though those films, yes, on the surface, are very brutal and menacing and sadistic, there's something about Seven that it, it's just, it sits with you for a while. Mm-hmm. The house that Jack built, even though, like, the violence in it, like, the murders are, yes, probably the most gory murders I've ever watched in a film. And I wasn't even watching the uncensored version of the film. Um, they didn't, they didn't stick with me. Like, I'm not really thinking about them after watching it. And Seven. The sloth victim is haunting me still you talked you talked about how i was telling you about all the murders in like grade nine and i watched seven when i was like in grade seven so that movie haunted me for a solid two two and a half years before i and i was still talking about it so you know there's that huh yeah um yeah acting uh i don't know i it's a really high nine for me it's a very very high nine it's not yeah. quite the 10. Um, it's very close, though. 
I think the only, I think the way that this could have gotten to a 10 is if there were just like a few more moments that weren't just the last 30 minutes that like made Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman stand out. But other than that, it is, it's a very high nine out of 10. I, I changed this grade a couple times. Yeah, I, I gave it a 9%. To me, nothing stands out to bring it to the 10 level, but it is a nine. It is a nine. Okay, entertainment value out of 10. Ben, this was your first watch, but you knew the entire plot line. Yeah. I still want to see how... It's, how, uh, it's very yeah. entertaining. It's hard to watch at some points, but this film is extremely entertaining. Uh, yeah, I knew the entire plot, but that didn't stop me from being like fully engaged. Well, when I say I knew the entire plot, I just knew... I knew that Kevin Spacey was the killer. I knew that Brad Pitt's wife's head was in the box. And I knew that eventually Brad Pitt was going to kill Kevin Spacey and fulfill the last two sins. And, like, I knew how they all died. And that seems like a lot. <laughs> but, like, I didn't know all the stuff in between at all. Sure. I didn't know how they were... I didn't know how they were... I didn't know any of the clues they found. I didn't know the paths they took. I didn't know who they interviewed. I didn't know shit other than all the major plot points. Uh, so it's still really entertaining, and I really loved it. Uh, yeah, I gave it a 9% out of 10 for entertainment value. Even though, like, some sections are hard to watch, super, super entertaining movie. Yeah, it is. It's a very entertaining movie. I, I don't, I'm not going to rewatch this film a lot, but it still is, when you do watch it, highly entertaining. Uh, yeah, so it's a 9 out of 10 also for me. Uh, okay, technical achievement. I don't have much to say here. Easy, Easy 14 out of 15. 14, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's definitely up there with the other 14s we've given. Besides maybe some that we should have given a 15 to, but we were way too reluctant to give those 15s out. Children of men. <laughs> what else? Uh... Yeah, probably Children of Men. That's probably about it. I mean, I think there's arguments for quite a few of these that we could have given 15s to. We're just being very I stubborn think with the 15s. I think if you're looking at it historically, Raging Bull, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Even, like, Shape of Water, I feel like, yeah. could be argued. If, um, I think if we got, like, Pan's Grand Labyrinth. Grand Budapest. I think if we got Pan's Labyrinth, we could give that safely. I don't know. Pan's is, Labyrinth. Is that on the wheel? Yeah, it's on the wheel. Okay, nice. I love Pan's Labyrinth. I'm just trying to think if it, like... I don't know if it would be a 15. Well, I n- I'd, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we we got to start being a bit lighter with that 15. I think we got to break that barrier one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll we're going to tally up our total percentages... Come back, and we're going to hop into our next 10 all-time favorite movies. Top 100. Uh, what are we at? We're in the 70s, aren't we? We are in the yes. 70s. In I believe the it's 70s. 80 to 71 today. Yeah, it is. Awesome. Okay, back at it. Uh, we have tallied up our percentages ben what did you give seven 
I gave it an 89%. 89%. Super high score. Not quite breaking 90. Uh, but this film is great. This film is really good. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's undeniable. It's objectively good. Yeah. Uh, I gave it a 90%, just breaking that barrier. Um, yeah. Okay. So that gives it an 89.5 average. Which puts it just above Silence and just below the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Which, it's a good spot. I think that it's a better movie than Silence. Um, but I don't think it's better than Grand Budapest. I mean, it's right in there. It's in our top ten. It's in the top... It's seventh it's now. It's seventh I place. That's, that's perfect. It's seventh <laughs> place. <laughs> you can't make this stuff that's up. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> okay, yeah. So seven that comes pushes in seventh place. Wolf of Wall Street out of our top ten. Pushes Wolf of Wall Street, and that's having Inglorious Bastards on thin oil here. Um, thin ice. Why? Why did I just say thin oil? Jesus. Um, I don't know. <laughs> thin ice here. Lucas um, is tired. Yeah. So Inglorious Bastards, Nocturnal Animals, Silent Seven, Grand Budapest, Shame, The Master, Eternal Sunshine, Drive, Children of Men. That's a pretty beautiful top ten, if you ask me. Um, yeah. But you know, oh, you know what we should do first? We should spin the wheel. Yeah. Before we hop into our top one hundred. Um, spin it and see if we get a goodie. Yeah. What went onto the wheel last week? The theory of no no no, every, no, no. Uh, oh okay uh, was it tree of life it was the tree of yeah. life yeah okay so the tree of okay. life went on yeah. the wheel um cool okay well let's spin it cool and we are spinning in three two one here we go. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, okay. So we have landed on the tree of life. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Wow. Just went on the wheel. Yeah. Just, just went on the wheel. Terrence Malick, Brad Pitt. Yeah. I, I've been meaning to watch it's this been film on my for watch a while. list for a very long so. time. So I'm excited to watch this. But now let's get into our top 100 films yeah. of all time I'm, um we are moving into 80 to 71 today and ben why don't you start it off what is your 80th 80th all-time favorite movie we got an a24 film called mid 90s it's jonah hill's directorial debut nice little coming of age story with the great soundtrack great 4-3 aspect ratio looks great uh, really great performances in this one with uh, Sonny Siljic as the main character. Yeah, this one, I don't know. This is just kind of like a feel-good movie, even though it's there's some sadder moments, but it's just a nice coming-of-age story. Yeah, yeah, really good. Hopefully Jonah Hill makes bit... more movies. More movies. It was a bit earlier in my list, but it was on here in my top 100. Um, 
My 80th favorite film of all time is last year's Best Picture winner, Nomad Land, mm. from Chloe Zhao, Francis McDormand. Uh, the only movie from 2020 to hit the top 100. I love this movie. I watched it a little earlier than it was before it was released, before it yeah. got all the Oscar hype. And I was like, this movie, it's meaning something. It's like, it's just, you know, grabs you by the heart. And it's like, hey, look at my natural light. Look at all this natural light and location selection. And I was yeah. like, yes, I see you. Um, and then it got a bunch of Oscar hype. And I was very proud of this movie. Such an indie film, but it deserved that best picture in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, 79. 79. What is it, Ben? This is a film that we literally reviewed like two weeks ago, Boyhood. Nice. Uh, I won't get too far into it because we literally just did like an hour-long podcast about it. But uh, it was really good. It surprised me. Um, yeah, go check out our review if you want to hear my full thoughts on it. Boyhood. Like to see it. Okay, my 79th favorite film. A classic if there is a definition for a classic, it is this movie. It is The Lion King, of course. <laughs> the classic animated film. Not nice. the remake. Um, God, you know, this film is my childhood. This is, this is my yeah. childhood. I watched this movie on repeat for many, many years because my grandma had it on VHS. And I was just, I would always watch it. Um, she actually, fun, funny enough, she had this movie and Bape, and those were the two movies that I would watch constantly. Um, but <laughs> this one stuck with me a bit more than Bape. <laughs> it, 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 it's The uh, Lion King. I, I don't even have to go into detail. It's The Lion King. I love it. It's one of the greatest animated films out there. Tugs at all the heartstrings. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, number 78, we got uh, the late great Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society. Uh, mm. This movie is so good. I wish that Robin Williams was my teacher. Um, I don't know. This film is very moving to me. I love the symbolism. Uh, and overall, it's just a great watch. If you like Robin Williams... You'll love this movie if you want to go relive his his beautiful acting skills. And I love the screenplay yeah. in this movie, too. It's just a young, young Ethan Hawke. Yeah, exactly. Great movie. Go watch it if you haven't already. Deadpool yeah. Society. That's a great one. Okay, my 78th favorite film. We talked about it a few times in this podcast. It is American Beauty. Um, Mm. yeah, I just watched this film for the first time, uh, like, maybe it's been like two months now, but it it weirded me out a little, I I will admit, it was a very awkward viewing experience, but Uh I cannot deny the pure beauty, no pun intended, of this film. Um, it won Best Picture, won Best Cinematography. Uh, won Best Actor, won a lot of awards, won Best Screenplay, I think, too. It's a really well-written film. It is 
truly beautiful and not just the aspect of the like creepy dad pedophilia vibes but more so in the actual like coming of age story with his daughter and her kind of finding herself uh in this kind of messed up family relationship she has with her father and her mother um and it is it's really just a honest depressing portrayal of like family life with really really haunting ending um but yeah it affected me i, I really enjoyed it 78 yeah okay 77 we got uh the first movie we ever reviewed parasite um hey. i love this movie it's really awesome definitely deserve best picture well i guess technically i have other movies from that year rated higher uh but mm-hmm. i still think it deserved best picture like honestly it's just a very important moment that i think as moviegoers we had to have a foreign film win best picture for a wider audience to truly appreciate all yeah. the cinematic beauty that is in other parts of the world that don't speak English. Like, it's yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. There's just, like, so many movies. There's so many. Yeah, And they're all so good. So, uh, if this well, was your introduction... All, but, yeah. <laughs> they're not all so good, but, like, there are some really great movies out there. Yeah, it's so, just like the Hollywood film business. It's the same exactly. in every country. So, yeah, I think that this movie inspired a lot of people to get out there and watch more foreign films. And also, it's just a kick-ass fucking drama thriller. It's really good. Everyone's seen it. But if you haven't, watch it. Parasite is really awesome. Probably a little too low. Uh, but I don't know. I really love a lot of the movies above it, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, my 77th favorite film of all time, Coen Brothers, The Big Lebowski. Mm. I know this is much, much, much higher on Ben's list. Yeah. But uh, I love this movie. One of my favorite late night comedies out there. I don't even know if Mm -hmm. you can call this a late night comedy. It is a late night comedy, but it's a lot deeper than most late night comedies. It is a Coen Brother masterpiece, uh, you know got jeff bridges and uh you know mr steve buscemi and john goodman <laughs> giving it their absolute all well, and it's, it's such a, a good cast it's just it's it's it is probably one of the films that has made me laugh the hardest in my entire life of watching movies this yeah. film never fails and it's also like to just so laugh. quotable one of the most quotable mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely in my top 100. That is number 77. Nice. My number 76, kind of like the Big Lebowski. It's a lot higher for Lucas, but mine is Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance coming in 76. Mm-hmm. This movie, I should probably rewatch it. I watched it mm, like two and a half years ago, and I really loved it. Like, the cinematography is obviously really cool, but like... That that can't be the only thing that you appreciate when you watch this movie. Because, I mean, the performances are great, screenplay is amazing, and the story in general is just awesome. Yeah. So, if you go into this movie, don't go into it just wanting to watch a cool cinematic gimmick. Yeah. Go into it wanting to Go watch to 1917 if you're going to do that. Yeah, exactly. This mm-hmm. movie is way, way more than just a yeah. technical gimmick. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, my 76 is Ladybird, A24, Sorcerer Ronin, Greta Gerwig's dec- directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Um, truly wholesome film. Uh, very funny, interesting look at the mother-daughter relationship. Uh, yeah. Fantastic cast, Sorcerer Ronin, Beanie Feldstein. Timothy Chalamet and my boy Lucas Hedges all coming together in a top-notch coming-of-age film. And, you know, I love Greta Gerwig. I think she is uh, a phenomenal actress, but obviously has proven herself as also a phenomenal screenwriter and director. And, yeah, Lady Bird is up there as one of my favorite A24 films and definitely in my top 100. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, okay, we are on to 75. We got Goodfellas, a Scorsese classic. Mm. This movie is hilarious. I bought that on DVD today. Oh, it's so good. Um, yeah. Got some hilarious scenes. I still think uh, Joe Pesci, his scene where he's asking Ray Liotta, oh, funny how? Funny like I'm a clown? <laughs> That scene is just one of the funniest scenes in cinema history to me. I absolutely love it. Um, I mean, if you're a fan of Scorsese, you've definitely seen this movie. But, yeah. like, it's just, it's one of those movies that defines a director's career. Uh, and I think that's, you know, Goodfellas, everyone knows that. Everyone knows it's one of the crown jewels of Scorsese's filmmaking. Uh, and it's just a masterpiece. Go check it out. Go watch Goodfellas again. Rewatch it. It's rewatchable. It's hilarious. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. My 75th favorite film of all time. A little bit more of an unknown film. It's a foreign film called Amour from France. Mm. Directed yeah. by Mr. Michael Haneke. Um, but is not his usual extremely disturbing film. Uh, it's actually a very beautiful beautifully depressing i may add but truly beautiful i guess love story the film is about um an old man caring for his uh his elderly wife as she's basically dying of um a stroke that she has had and basically brain failure um And, yeah, it's a really depressing movie that is probably the definition of realism in film. Uh, I don't... I think this film really captures what realism is, the idea of long, wide shots and really just showing... just acting and the... Basically, this entire film is set in the house. But Mm. it's a great film. Made me cry. Broke my heart. Super depressing. Crazy ending. Um, and I highly suggest this to anyone who just wants to watch like a, a good, sad movie. Totally. Uh, okay. 74 marriage story. Um, nice marriage story hits different. It's really sad. Mm-hmm. Go listen to our review of it. Yep. If you want to hear my full thoughts, but mm-hmm. I love this movie. Yeah. Great movie. Um my seventy seventy fourth 
favorite film yes. of all time. Baz Luhrmann, Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I guess, another film that sort of defines my childhood. It is... That's so messed up. <laughs> I mean... Childhood not... defining movies. It is. Okay, I'm being honest. The, it, is, the it is one of the film that defines my childhood. It's one of my parents' favorite films of all time, so they obviously showed it to me at a very young age. And I loved it. And look, I was, I was too young to understand the whole prostitute aspect of this film. I just thought it was like... A really cool film with awesome songs like David Bowie and Elton John um, and you know it's Ewan McGregor how can I not like it <laughs> it's a really stylistic film it's Baz Luhrmann obviously but it's probably one of the only Baz Luhrmann films I genuinely love the style of it's perfect for his film and that's because it is original content of Baz Luhrmann He's done other films like Romeo plus Juliet and The Great Gatsby, which don't work as well for me because I, he's just taking content that's already been made and then putting his style onto it. Where Moulin Rouge reflects his style because he also wrote it, so the story itself just fits his style so perfectly. Uh, yeah, I love this film. It has a lot of nostalgia uh, going for it for me. 74. All right. 73 we got my boy yorgos not the first time you'll see him on this list uh but this time it's the lobster um Uh, which i love the lobster yeah (laughs) but i know what your other one is (laughs) well now like as of today there's three on this list um Uh. but not on this version this is like two weeks or three weeks old or something but the lobster what can i say it's quirky, slightly unsettling. It's like the least disturbing of his films. I could say that. Eh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I honestly find like, the I found the lobster way more disturbing than Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um. I mean, yeah. Like, but now I that I've just seen Dog the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Killing of a Sacred I, Deer I, had me laughing. I mean, the lobster <laughs> is just. Yorgos is deadpan delivery. It's not going to work yeah. for everyone, but it works for me. And if you can appreciate it, then uh, this movie is like... This movie also just has like such a funny concept. It's not a very funny movie in general, but... It's a dark comedy. It's a really yeah. great dark comedy, honestly. It, it's a great movie. Like, even romance-wise... <laughs> Uh, it is it's a romance film it's a dark comedy romance film that a lot of people i know a lot of people who hate this movie um i love it okay i love the you gotta i love the lobster um and And i don't know i love the originality of it it's just so colin farrell is yeah great gotta love colin farrell yeah um yeah my 73rd favorite film of all time is pan's labyrinth um Guillermo del Toro's, I guess, kind of first big hit film. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Pan's Labyrinth. Most people have seen this film. Actually, I don't know if Ben's seen this film. Have you seen Pan's Labyrinth? I have not seen Pan's Labyrinth. Ben hasn't seen Pan's Labyrinth. Ben, you should watch Pan's Labyrinth. It's, I, it's, a, it's on the wheel, so I'll wait. It is, yeah. It is the definition of an adult film 
fairy tale. I mean, it's like a fairy tale, but, you know, there is a lot of swearing and a lot of blood. But also really cool in the prosthetics, the monsters. It's like just this, like, fantasy come to life. It's like the film that adults watch when they want to bring back the magic of their childhood, but also don't want to watch a children's film. It's kind of like that. Mm. Um... I really love this film. Guillermo del Toro, I think, should have won Best Picture for this one. I know he got it for The Shape of Water, but this is his this is his work of art right here. Um, yeah, great film. Nice. Okay, 72. We have Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. This is one of the best written films of all time, in my opinion. I mean, Sydney Limit, in general, widely regarded as one of the best screenwriters of all time, made a mm-hmm. little film called 12 Angry Men. You might have heard of it. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, like, I haven't seen that movie, and I know that it's yeah. probably very good. But, like, imagine a dialogue-driven 12 Angry Men, except it's all taking place in a bank heist gone yeah. so wrong, and Al Pacino is just sitting in this bank with John Cazale, and like six people, six hostages, completely surrounded by like two hundred cops for a day, and it all takes place in that bank, and it's just them talking, and that's this movie, and it's wildly entertaining, and it's hilarious, and it's tense, and it's really well written. Go watch Dog Day Afternoon; it's really good. <laughs> I'm gonna watch that movie. That's been on my watch list for a while. Um, yeah. yeah. My 72nd, we're at 72. 72, my 72nd favorite film of all time, The Dark Knight Rises. This is the finale of the Dark Knight trilogy. Right. Brings it all to a close. The one with Christopher Nolan's. Hmm? Yeah, this is is the one with Bane and Catwoman. Yeah. This is Sir Tom Hardy playing Bane. Um, Dark Knight Rises. Why do I have it on my top 100 list? Well, I will. It is the conclusion of a truly astounding, revolutionary superhero trilogy. Really, there is no other superhero films that have been done to date like Nolan did with the Dark Knight uh, trilogy. He brought a whole new light to what superhero films. Is Batman Begins on the list? On my top 100? No. Okay. It's in my top 300, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. he, he brought to light, yeah, he brought to light what superhero films could be and how they could still, even though they're superheroes and comic books, they could still be rooted in reality and feel somewhat real in its craziness. Um, the changing aspect ratios is just so freaking awesome. Gotta love it. Um, and, dude, that ending, I know you haven't seen this, but the ending of this movie... Will never fail to not make me cry. I mean, how can you not cry at Michael Caine crying? If Michael Caine is crying, I am crying. So there you go. Dark Knight Rises, 72. Okay. Um, 71, our last entry in this part. All the old film fans better get mad. The Godfather, 71. Oh, 71. I, okay, how much higher is it? It's okay, you? everyone. I have it. Uh, let me look. Well, well don't spoil it's it. It's higher. Like, it's definitely higher. It's not, like, extremely high, but it's, like, it's a solid amount higher. I, I don't know. The Godfather's 
amazing. It really is. But there's just a lot of movies that I'd rather watch. <laughs> That's how I'll put it. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. The Godfather, Masterpiece. But there's just a lot of movies that I'd rather sit down and watch. I could even watch two movies in the time it would take me to watch The Godfather. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that... Like, you gotta remember, like, these are the best 100 films in my eyes, and the margins separating them are not that big. So, The Godfather being mm-hmm. this low isn't me putting disrespect on it. I just... Yeah. Straight up, it's just not quite as enjoyable to me as a lot of the other films on here. So, well, precisely yep. 70. So, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, my 71... Ben already talked about it. Boyhood, we've talked about this in a long podcast just the yeah. other day. Um, yeah, love Boyhood. I moved it down a bit after a rewatch, but still in the top 100. Uh, it's here. It's going to stay for a while. That is a conclusion to our next 10 entries of our top 100. We're getting there. Yeah. Moving into We're the 60s there. next week. Uh, very exciting. So and the tree of life. Yeah, the tree of life. I'm hyped to watch that. Maybe I'm that will be on hyped. there. Also, yeah, if you guys want to keep track with the updated top 100s, you can follow us on Letterboxd. Maybe we could yeah. link that in an SQFS post because, like, this yeah. has changed drastically yeah. from when this list was screenshotted. Because they're ever changing. I'm I'm watched so many films, and then I like think about them, and then I realize, okay, maybe I like this one more than this one. So mm-hmm. it's ever changing. Ever changing. Ben's letterbox account is awesome indie guy. Mine is yep. Lucas NN. Very simple. Uh, <laughs> follow us. Check out our list. We have a lot of lists and we have a lot of reviews that we write. Yeah. If you want to stay updated. Um, but thank you for listening to this week's podcast of seven. We're coming at you next week with both of our first viewing of the Tree of Life. Very excited. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Slightly Qualified Film Students. Make sure to tune in next week for a new film discussion and review. Our theme song is Slightly Sexy by Thompson Springs. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a like. Send us feedback and comments as well as your thoughts on the film. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at S underscore Q underscore F underscore S. If you would like to send us a question or a comment for next week's episode, you can email us at sqfilmstudents at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Bye.